1: and at times unpredictable. It's hard to find moments to focus on what you need. Join Stephanie James on The Spark as she guides you to use your inner flame to ignite your best life. As a best-selling author, psychotherapist, transformational life coach, and international show host, Stephanie is dedicated to helping you create a life that takes you, your goals, and your passions to the next level. So you can live a life that is fully lit up and fully alive. She believes that your life is meant to be a beautiful expression of the things that light you up, that by living your dreams, you give permission to others to do the same. Are you ready to feel alive and inspired to fuel your dreams and put a fire behind your desires? Let's ignite a spark in one another that will illuminate the world. The Spark with your host, Stephanie James, starts now.
2: Welcome to Igniting the Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I hope that wherever you are right now, that you're able to pause and to just take a nice deep breath into your heart and just feel that radiance within you. Know that that is the closest thing to your essence. You could put your hand right now on your heart to help you even breathe in more fully, You'll feel the energy that's radiating there. And that's why we talk about the spark. That spark is you. It's your essence. And so being in touch with that today, that no matter what circumstances or difficulties we are facing, that essence that is us is alive and aflame. So I'm really excited today. I have a really special guest, someone I just adore and have just found such a sweet soul sisterhood with. I am here with Phoebe Leona. She is the founder of Nomad Collective and creator of NVT 109, which I have to ask her about. She's an author, speaker, transformational guide, and a 500 ERYT. Another question I'm going to have for you. But she also has a TED Talk. She's creating This amazing, amazing offering we're going to be talking about and how you can sign up for it. And I am just thrilled to have Phoebe Leona on the spark. Welcome, Phoebe. Thank you so much, Stephanie. It's such a joy to be with you. And so I do, I have to ask you, when I was looking at your one sheet and I'm looking at your, you know, all your information, what is this MVT 109?
3: Yeah. Thank you for asking me that. I, I, it's called movement 109. So it's the abbreviation for move and not a lot of people get that. So (laughs) it is the movement modality that I have created my somatic practice, but my story actually with movement 109 began before I created this modality when I was a performing dancer. So I was living in New York city for most of the early 2000s, and when I was about to move out of the city in 2010, I decided that I wanted to pay homage to my teacher of the city, and I wanted to bring together the people that I had danced with and choreographed this this evening of of, of pieces to basically pay homage to the to my city and my friends and my my mm-hmm. community, and so at the same time I was also becoming a yoga teacher, I was diving deeper and deeper into that. And I was meditating pretty regularly with the japa beads, you know, the mala beads, and I was doing my mantra meditation. And so anybody out there who doesn't know, there's 108 beads on the mala, but then there's the 109th bead. It's that last bead called the guru bead, which is where we take this moment to pay reverence to our teachers before we continue on. And so when I was, kind of lining up this experience. And somebody said, well, you should call your evening, you know, your company something. So I thought, oh, let's do like my last movements in the city movements 109. And so that was really where it originated from. But then fast forward, um, let's see, probably seven years later, I decided to dive in deep into this modality that I was just intuitively doing on my own because I was teaching yoga for many years. I was a little bit burnt out on it, just the, the physical practice of it, but also the teaching of it. And my body was craving to move in a different way. And I found myself rolling around on the ground and doing really organic movement that felt restorative to me. And I thought, this feels like something I need to share with people. And I wasn't quite sure yet, but I knew there was something else needing to be born with my path of sharing and teaching that I went to one of my mentors, who's a healer, and I just showed her what I was doing. And I said, is this anything? And she said, yes, this is something we need to, I am going to mentor you and codify this. So then we started to build it and it was to walking people through in the body, through the chakra system, but moving in a very different way, like very organic circular figure eights and tracking the patterns in the body. So the various sensations in the body, the blockages in the body to recognize these patterns and make new choices from that. And so it's been evolving the last five years, six years. And I started to hold teacher trainings, facilitator trainings for it. And it is something that I just feel like as I go deeper and deeper into it and with the people that I'm training that it feels like my life's work. It truly feels like my life's work because of all of the teaching that I've done and me being a life student, but also the trauma that I went through as a child and how movement and dance in particular was really my own healing modality. And I was doing all of this intuitively, and now I've somewhat kind of codified it to be this Movement 109.
2: Wow, I absolutely love that. I'm I'm just so blown away by I I feel like there's these really interesting parallels. Like in my life right now, I'm hearing so much about how important this somatic movement is
0: Mm -mm.
2: in healing trauma. Mm -hmm. So I love that you were already intuitively doing that. And then you went to your teacher and said, Is this something?
3: Yeah.
2: And there it was. You know, it's like, yes, absolutely. So you were already doing your own healing and now you're helping teach other teachers how to do that and helping so many students how to heal that within themselves.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it was interesting because. It was a lot of looking back and realizing all of the dots that were always there and connecting them. So I was going through my own healing journey from my childhood trauma. It all really came to a head uh, in 2013 when my father passed away and I went through a divorce and I was really somewhat forced to look at what I hadn't really fully looked at as a child. And then parallel to that was, I was always teaching something. I was always teaching dance or Pilates or yoga. And I was realizing that I was teaching, and I had always heard this too from my students that I was teaching in a very different way than you know, the average dance teacher, Pilates teacher, yoga teacher. I was really teaching in this this idea of like how you do anything is how you do everything. So I was using the body as this looking at your life, as this microcosm of, you know, how are you interacting with these patterns in your body? How can you make these new choices and transform them? And so I was starting to see, ah, oh, I was doing this all the time. And now here are the dots. And then this word, somatic, you know, movement has really cut is a buzzword right now in the, the movement world, the healing world, because. Trauma is very much looked at, and you know, because this is your work that you do, but this is something that is more, I would say, mainstream right now, and people really want to recognize their own traumas and heal. And so this is, you know, when I started to see, okay, this is what my life's work is, and yes, it's arriving at the right time, right here, right now for people.
2: Absolutely. And I think this is the important wake up, if you will, because for so long, it seems like before EMDR was really a huge thing, which is one of the trauma modalities that I use, you know, it it seemed like people would come in and say, well, you know, I understand what this trauma is about. I understand the patterns it's caused in my life. So why can't I get over it? Yeah. And I always say, well, because trauma is not in that part of the brain, you know, the prefrontal cortex or the parts where we try to rationalize or analyze, it's actually in those more primitive parts of our brain. And now we know it's held within ourselves. It's held within our bodies. Yeah. And so where EMDR would touch that cognitive piece again, and it does the physiological split as well. I mean, it really does help rewire the brain and rewire trauma, but there's something really beautiful and important about healing and letting go of this energy that literally gets trapped within ourselves and within our bodies. Can you speak more to that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the mantra that I'm hearing when you spoke is the issues are in our tissues, which I'm pretty sure was coined from the body keeps the score, which is a great book out there. But yes, I I like to think of that the body is our our subconscious. So even though we can think our way and change our mindset to a certain extent and, and change the neural pathways in our brain, like you were speaking into... The, there are deep held stories and they might not even necessarily be our own stories. They could also be in the code of our DNA. You know, there's a lot of new information coming out there also about epigenetics and how we can also carry these markers of trauma from our parents and even our grandparents and so on. So when we come into this, we into this body of ours, we might be carrying these stories that are in our cells. And as well as our own life's trauma, our own stories that we start to carry. And as you spoke of earlier, I mean, we can use these other modalities that will really change the the brain, but then really what it needs to do is the nervous system is really to regulate the nervous system. Because what happens is when we start to get into those places that trigger us from that old trauma, we go into that fight or flight our nervous system is just reacting. It can't, we can't just say, oh yes, (laughs) I'm having a flashback right now, right? Our body actually physically goes into it and feels like it's in there. And so when we can actually go in and feel in our body, okay, this is, this is. I'm starting to feel like, I'll walk you through a moment that I've had a couple of times where I don't feel my legs all of a sudden because I go into freeze mode. And I start to feel like I'm not, I'm not in this moment, and I can feel like I feel this loss or lack of feeling, loss of sensation in my my legs and my feet, and then my heart starts to race. And so, when we start to recognize that, we can have these somatic practices of okay, let's squeeze the legs, let's bring our you know, it's that using the mind to bring that awareness, but then actually these tools to re-anchor you back in the body and start to change it, because when we go into these moments of trauma our brains like kind of taking us offline and saying, we're not safe here. Right. And so when we start to say, okay, body, I'm safe now, it's, it refiles it in a sense in the brain and says, okay, that is no longer going to be a trigger, right? My body was safe and that is no longer going to be a trigger. So we start to repattern it on that cellular level. Yeah.
2: So I, you know, I wanted to speak to your own personal journey because I feel like it's so important. Oftentimes, when people see someone like yourself at this end of the journey and they're like, "Oh my gosh, you've done so much with your life. you helped so many people, you've accomplished all these goals, they don't always get that you know you've gone through the struggle. You've gone through repeated, you know, awakenings, if you will, and healings. how do you take care of yourself? And so here your your father had passed, and then, your 15-year marriage is ending. And you know we hear about divorce all the time. And I think it can be really discounting or discounted. And it's devastating. Even if you want a divorce, even if you're the one that wants it, nobody gets out of it unscathed. There's always so many emotions. And, and sometimes we're just grieving the relationship that we wish we had. We're mm-hmm. not even grieving that person. So if you can guide us through that time in your life, And then you said things kind of all came together. You know, I don't know if that was trauma from your childhood or it did everything kind of unravel at once. Tell us about that journey for you.
3: Yeah. It unraveled at once. I'll just say it start there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll go back further to my childhood. So my parents divorced when I was eight years old and my father was my primary caregiver from eight to 15. And Back in the early eighties, when I was growing up, he definitely had what we know to be now PTSD, but we didn't have that terminology really, but he had very severe PTSD actually got hundred percent mentally disabled many, many, years later in his life because he had done two tours of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And so at that point in time, it was just, you have shell shock? You know, the VA would say you have shell shock. Here's a prescription, you know. See you later. Good luck. And that yeah, good luck. And he that was not working for him. He had an alcohol problem. He then had a very hard drug problem. He, you know, kind of went between crack and heroin. I don't know when in what order, but he had those those as like his go-to drugs for a period of time. And so as he was my primary caregiver, it was very, very challenging because he not only had this drug problem, but he also was having these very severe symptoms that drug problem was you know, also part of. But he would go into his own flashbacks where he almost killed my mom one time in front of me because he was deep in a flashback and he was trying to, quote unquote, save me from the Viet Cong. So it was all very confusing. And it basically, when I was 15, I just could not take it anymore. It was too challenging to understand. And also I was, I was a very much a high achiever and I was very much a bubbly popular girl. So I had this very dual life. You know, I would be outside, I would have boyfriends, I would be the captain of palms, I would get straight A's. And I kept this personal part of me very, very personal and private. And then I got to this age where all of a sudden I had friends who were driving and they could stop by at any time. And it was really scary that I was going to get found out that my father had this problem that I was trying to hide for so long. So there were just a lot of other things that, you know, contributing to it of being a teenager. And I just said, I can't take this anymore. So I, I moved in with my grandmother for a period of time. And then I somehow managed to get through the rest of my teenage years, went to college as a dancer met the person that I ended up marrying in college. And that's what brought us to, you know, about 10 years later or 15 years later when I was still with my partner and my father came back into my life because he had disappeared for a period of time during that whole period. And he had been arrested. He had been homeless. He had almost died of lithium poisoning because he was also bipolar so he had many drugs in his system but he was also rehabilitated to a certain extent the VA had started to take care of him he was sober from the hard drugs and he remembered me and so he entered back into my life and we had a few years of just rehabilitating our relationship started to connect the dots of his trauma also understanding okay this is how it greatly affected my life and then as he passed away in his sleep, very peacefully, which I'm actually, it was devastating at the time, but so grateful that he got to die in his sleep in peace rather than living in the hell that he had been in for so many years. He, two months later, my husband sat me down. And he said he wanted a divorce. And it did unravel, as you said, all at one time, because what basically occurred was he had a secret. Of his I'll keep the his his life story private, but he had made choices that were not healthy, that were very parallel to what I had been growing up with. So I had made these unconscious choices to pick a partner, right? Like marrying your like daddy. We always do. <laughs> yeah. Marrying yep. my daddy. Yeah. So that that's what kind of came to a head was he realized that I, and he knew that I was never going to leave because I was so loyal. And I also was used to this codependent relationship. So he said, I need to set you free. And as devastating as it was during that time, I'm actually very, very grateful that it did all happen at once because it was my spiritual awakening. It was this very deep inquiry of, okay, what do you want now? What do you want to create? But I had to go on this very long journey of healing, which I share a lot about in my book that I that I shared with you recently. So that's kind of where it all started about 10 years ago on my healing path.
2: Thank you so much for sharing that just tender and vulnerable story and to get to know you now and the few times we have talked, I'm so blown away because you are so radiant and When we come back, we're gonna be talking about Phoebe's book, Dear Radiant One. For those of you uh, who are watching this on video, this is an absolutely gorgeous book. Dear Radiant One, an emotional recovery story and transformational guide to embody the dance of life. So come on back with us. We will continue to be igniting the spark with Phoebe Leona. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Igniting the Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James, and we're here with Phoebe Leona. Phoebe Leona, what an amazing woman. I mean, author, speaker, she's this transformational guide. She does this somatic movement and dance and healing. And wow, we've just been hearing her story. And I want to talk about this book because this book, I mean, what what a gift. Talk about really sharing your story. I have to say first, what what really caught me about this book is these letters that you write. And I love it in the book. If you all get this book and you need to get it, the letters that she writes to different emotions in her life are written in a different font. Like she's actually doing a journey or excuse me, a journal entry and so it's, it just really stands out and just makes it very, I mean, it's very impactual, right? So I want to also talk about the practices that you have in here, but first talk about, I think I know a little bit about the inspiration for this book, <laughs> what came through that needed to be expressed in this book and why was it so important to write this book now?
3: Yeah. Thank you for all of that, Stephanie. So it's really where we just left off, right? As I was going through that year in 2013 of such great loss, there was something inside of me that said, I need to share this story. And I knew it wasn't just for my own healing, but I knew it was something, there was something bigger going on here. I knew it had to be in service to others. And so I had this image of a book and I also had an image of it being a movie. Actually, first I would see like visually seeing it. That's why I was drawn to you when I saw you actually created your book and your movie Your movie together. It's was like, ah, yes, <laughs> Soul Sisters. <laughs> so I knew that I needed to do that. So I started to write a little bit back then, but I also knew this is too raw. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is too emotional. I'm too much in it. it. This isn't the time. So I had a couple of periods where I would manically write for months at a time and just kind of let that raw emotion come out. And then during the pandemic, I knew, okay, this is the time. (laughs) We have some time on our hands. (laughs) But then when I came to sit down, I was looking at everything and, you know, kind of dissecting it, what my story, how I was going to lay, lay out the story and everything. And I said, you know what, this feels really vulnerable to share what I'm sharing. And I don't know if I can just write it like a book. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right to just sit there and kind of tell a story about myself, but what have I done for my entire life was write in a journal. And I thought that way I can feel like I'm writing in my journal. It can feel very intimate. It can feel like I can go into those vulnerable places and not feel judged or looked at in a way that, you know, might make me feel too exposed. But what if somebody just picked up this book and they were reading my journal? That feels better to me for some reason. And then I knew I also wanted to talk about these emotions because I was going through my own emotional recovery and I had gone through therapy and I had done, you know, this other inquiry on my own and my somatic practice. But I thought, you know, what if there are other people out there who haven't allowed themselves to feel what we call the shadow emotions like anger and fear and grief? But what also, if they need help in invoking what we'll call the lighter emotions like joy and gratitude and love and confidence, what would that look like? And so I really thought of this as a love letter, not just to these emotions, because that's my way into the storytelling, but a love letter to the reader to invite them into their own journey of dancing with these emotions And so I write the emotions and then I do a little bit of education around the chakra system because that's how the roadmap that I use to take people on that journey. So I do a little bit of education around that and dealing with these emotions. And then I use the somatic practices like journal prompts and meditations to help people invoke those or give them expression in some way.
2: Yeah. So beautiful. You know, I, I, I think you and I had talked about this when you had interviewed me and some of those shadow emotions where we just want to push them down or repress them because they're not comfortable. And so that's what becomes like that beach ball that we're trying to push under the water. And inevitably, you know, at some point it's going to pop up and smack us in the face Um, and how different an experience it is when we're actually able to hold you know, and, and really be with whatever comes up that actually when we don't resist, you know, we Mm -hmm. all know that saying what resists persists. Yeah. So when we actually befriend our emotions, that's where we really can start noticing the transformation. Mm -hmm. And then it actually starts allowing for space where we can experience some of this, you know, a subtle joy, peace, Mm -hmm. and then maybe, you know, feeling ecstatic. I mean, those, those different states of being come from, I think, as we, as the poem, The Guest House by Rumi says, Mm -hmm. welcome and entertain them all.
3: Yes. Yeah. I have a, a kind of funny story about writing the book before i started to write the book i was in therapy and every week i mean she was my couples therapist for the during the duration of our you know detangling of our marriage so she knew what i had you know before <laughs> the before and the after and she knew that i should be angry and she always asked every week phoebe are you angry and i was like no i'm good i'm fine i mean i would cry But I never was angry, quote unquote, like I was just, yeah, I'm fine. I'm sad. I'm, you know, I'm too tired to be angry. I always had an excuse, but there was so much anger in there. When I started to write this book, I had a lot of anger inside of me (laughs) and I, it ended up being the longest chapter and the longest letter that I had to anger. And what, when you were using that image of the beach ball, pushing it down, I had realized, oh yeah, there was some stuff in there. And, and it did come out in bursts, you know, through my my emotional recovery. And I thought, yeah, I mean, it was coming out in my body. It was coming out physically through my skin. It was coming out in UTIs and my menstrual cycle. And so even though I was pushing this beach ball down, as you said, it was it was still erupting inside of me. And so that's what I talk a lot about too, is how it manifests if you don't really deal with it in your body or in your life
2: if you were speaking to the audience right now or to our listeners, you know, what would be those first signs for them to notice? Like you were saying, you know, you had some UTIs, it was coming out in your skin because, you know, a lot of times we'll have these physical symptoms and say, well, it's just that. Mm -mm. How do we we connect to this mind, body, emotion connection?
3: I mean, it's simple, but not easy. (laughs) it's simply taking moments. I mean, you said it so beautifully at the beginning to bring your hands onto your heart. It's bringing your hands to that place in your body and taking a few breaths and just simply asking, okay, what do you have for me here today? And this takes a very long time because at first, if you've never done anything like meditation before or felt good about your body, not even being able to look in the mirror for whatever reason to actually look inward and ask these questions, these very simple questions, that can be very vulnerable in itself. And there can be a lot of walls there. So getting through that first is to, you know, do a little bit of movement, do some practicing just to feel comfortable to have those conversations is the first step. But then yes, when you're getting those symptoms you know, myself included for so many years, I would get so many different illnesses and just thought, yeah, go to the doctor, get the prescription, call it a day, but they kept coming back. And it wasn't until I started to do this somatic therapy work that I was realizing, oh my gosh, all this strep throat that I was getting in high school was because I was festering a secret that I couldn't tell anybody. So I say it's really individual for the person. And I start with, if you can't talk about, to your body, then listen to how you're talking about it to somebody else. So if you're having these symptoms, like let's say the strep throat, how are you talking about that? What are you saying about it? Because these power, these words are so powerful. And when you start to talk about the physical symptom of it, there's probably something there about the story of why you're still consti- continuously receiving it. And so it's getting really curious and doing some inquiry there is so if you don't want to go inside, you can just look in that outside in that relationship, that's your mirror and you can go there.
2: I love that you dispel the myth that we get the aha, you know, the light bulb moment. And then it's like flipping a switch and we're like, I'm cured. And mm-hmm. that this really is that practice of like cultivating or like building a muscle Mm -hmm. So it's cultivating this relationship with our emotions, with our inner self. And that does take time. And to me, it's, it's the most noble and important journey that we can take because this is, as you talk about, I mean, this is freedom. This Mm -hmm. is emotional freedom. So talk about your process and how you reach that for yourself.
3: Yeah. Well, I love that you said it was a light bulb moment and it's a hot and it doesn't go away. I mean, (laughs) right away it can be, it can be really freeing. I mean, I, I often say awareness is a transformation. So that light bulb moment awareness might be, it might be something that does, you know, shift everything completely. It can make that quantum leap of shift change. But it really, you know, and it's funny. It's fresh on my mind because I taught in my yoga teacher training yesterday about the kleshas, the obstacles, and the three components of getting over your obstacles are tapas, what we call tapas, not the little foods from Spain, <laughs> right, or little munchy food, but um, the burning away of the impurities. It's the consistency of showing up, doing the work, holding yourself accountable. We also have what we, what we want to say is um, the surrender to something bigger than ourselves. So whatever word that is that resonates with you, God, goddess, spirit, source, there's a bit of surrender. So it's you holding yourself accountable and continuously showing up for it, but then also giving it to something that is a surrender. So when I, when I hear that, I feel like it's this balance of the masculine and the feminine energies right? Like you being the masculine of the doing and the being and being present with yourself, but then also handing it over and being in that surrender, more feminine state of being, being able to trust deeply. Okay. I know what this is now. I'll continue the inquiry. Sorry. The third component is the Mm -hmm. inquiry, which we already spoke about. And so doing that inquiry, like, okay, it's still here. That symptom is still here now, or that, that, you know, injury. We can also look at the injuries still here, whatever it is. Okay. Get a little curious about it. Continue to show up, be consistent, but then also trust that there's something bigger going on here.
2: And I think those are some of the essential pieces. I, I think of my own meditation practice and how there are mornings where I feel resistant yeah, to just go sit on my pillow. And you know, I realize at times that's exactly what it is. It's like being with whatever that uncomfortable feeling is, Mm -hmm. and then you know, of course, there's relief when we finally surrender it. But sometimes, coming to that point can really be that that moment of angst. Or I, I love um, Jacob Israel Lieberman talks about it that we have this kind of natural agitation that will happen, like like the grain of sand that's in Mm -hmm. the oyster, and if we can sit with it if we can yes. just let ourselves be in that place and just breathing into our bodies, noticing where that energy is, just like the grain of sand, it eventually becomes the pearl. It, exactly. it can become something very beautiful and, and very much transformed inside of us.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with that that is where the transformation has to happen, right? It's like that becoming that pearl, it has to have that resistance. It has to be there. And so what you were sp- speaking to earlier, of what you resist, you it persists, right? But in that moment, there's the pause between the two, right? What's resisting? You take the pause, you notice, you breathe with it, and then you make that choice. Do you want it to persist or do you want something new to happen? And then that's where that surrender comes into it. Okay. All right, sand. Keep rubbing up against me. Turn me into a (laughs) pearl. (laughs) I love
2: it. And you know, what you remind me of when you say that is that oftentimes surrender, we can feel like, okay, is that I'm being weak? I'm giving in. And surrender actually takes a lot of courage. It's really stepping out of our victim stance or Mm -hmm. saying, oh, I'm a victim of my life or I'm Mm -hmm. a victim of this. And it really is a point of power as you're saying to do the pause Yeah. To be in this present moment and know that you have the power to choose.
3: Yes. I think that pause is so important from going from that victim of like life's happening to me to life's happening through me and for me, because in that pause, the space just opens up and it's, and it gives you that power back. Right. And that's where you say, yeah, I'll continue to let it resist, you know, resist. Mm -hmm. I'm having a choice here. I'm now in the co-creative space. So that surrender is actually a co-creative act.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's aligning with your higher self or spirit or God or the divine. Absolutely. And then we become an even clearer conduit for that to come in through our own lives and then out into the world. And I want to make sure that we have time to talk about this amazing event that you're doing in the world and how we met can you talk a little bit about what's coming up very soon
3: ah oh, yes thank you yeah reimagining embodied leadership summit so i felt called to bring together people like you <laughs> to have these conversations around this new ta- paradigm shift that we're all experiencing and if we're going to move forward together as a collective what do we want to what do we want that to look like because we have been looking, I've been looking back. I can't speak to everybody, but I think you are, agree with this. Like there's a lot that has not been going so right in the world for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we have this opportunity. And I, I think you and I talked a little bit about this in your in your time, in our time together. But I really see the pandemic as this invitation. Like when we were all collectively asked to go into lockdown. I saw that as a very deep invitation for that pause that we just spoke about of this resistance of life in general, and just going with the status quo and sort of just doing what we think we should be doing and not choosing what we want to be doing. And so we were invited into this space to go deep within ourselves and say, okay, what do you want? What do you want to create? And some of us have gone on this journey and we've started to reimagine what that new world will look like. Some people have not, they just wanted to go back to the olds and there's some resistance there because they're realizing that old world is not there anymore. So we're in this paradigm shift right now where everybody's being asked again, what do you want? What do you want to create? And we have people like you who went through what I think of as like in my year that I did in 2013, we went through our own paradigm shift. Everything we knew to be true is no longer there anymore. And so what are we going to create for ourselves? And that I really, truly believe we were being prepared for this time and space to be these embodied leaders, to help people just be a few steps ahead and say, it's cool. We got this. It's going to be fine. (laughs) Let's regulate our nervous system. <laughs> and we're going to get to create because when we're in that fight or flight, because a lot of us have been in that space for the last three years or, or more, because mm-hmm. that was a traumatic, traumatic event. And mm-hmm. so when we're in that, we cannot be in a space of creation. We're just in a space of survival mode. And so when we have people like you out there who have seen the bigger picture, have done the inner work. And are ready to be in that space of leadership to guide people, we got to let them know, okay, it's going to be fine. We're okay. Let, here's some practices to ground you. And now, what seed do you want to plant within this world? What do you want to create? And what, do we, what can we co-create together? And so it felt like divine timing for many things in my own personal world, but then just also seeing it on the bigger scope in this collective world of, I need to bring people together and have these conversations to help raise our vibration. And when I found you, I was like, ah, cause you were already doing this. You were already doing this in your work, especially with, you know, igniting all of these sparks. And I said, ah, I need Stephanie James in my world. <laughs>
2: Thank you. That was yeah, such joy. Oh my gosh, connecting with yeah. you because we're so aligned in that and and yeah. this is you. And so to have this kind of conscious leadership. Yeah. Moving forward, it's just the essential piece because we are in this place where all the old paradigms are falling away. You know, it yeah. reminds me of the Sufis who talk about part of enlightenment is you begin to lift the veils,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: right? So we actually are seeing all these veils being lifted. So we're seeing, even though sometimes it might feel ugly or it might feel like, oh, I don't want to see that. We're seeing things, some things for how they really are. And yet we also have been blinded because Mm -hmm. we've been in fear mode to the beauty that is here and can be created. Yeah. And I love that vision of what we can co-create together as we continue to raise our consciousness, as we continue to understand what the real quote unquote, I am is Mm
3: -hmm. yeah,
2: and really feel into this interconnectedness and what we can create here. So, yeah, I I love that you're doing this. When is it and how can people find out about it?
3: We begin April 24th. It's a week long. so each day the uh, participants will receive these beautiful interviews with you and some other beautiful embodied leaders in the world and lots of different backgrounds too. I wanted the I wanted these conversations to be diverse. So we'll get a th- about three interviews released a day. We'll also have a couple of live events throughout so people can you know, intermingle with each other and get to know each other a little bit more. And that will so it'll be about a week. So April twenty fourth through May third, I believe, is when we conclude.
2: So exciting! Well, and I can't believe that we're already to the end of this interview because when I get on with you, time takes on a whole different experience. We have another time and
3: space and continuum. Yeah, 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 yeah. So,
2: how can people get a hold of you? How can yeah. they contact you and find out about your amazing work, and then find out about how they can watch this event?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So my website is my name, PhoebeLeona.com, and that will be right there all about me and my book, Dear Radiant One. And we also have another website, thenomadcollective.org. That is my company. That's the community that I you know lead. And we have the summit right there for uh, the reimagining embodied leadership because you, everybody out there are the leaders we've been waiting for.
2: Mm, Thank you. Thank you.
3: And I want to make
2: sure that I say, you know, if you've enjoyed this conversation, get on YouTube and check out Phoebe's TEDx talk. So Mm -hmm. I forgot to mention Phoebe has a TEDx talk. And so, again, just more inspiration, more just of this radiant soul that Phoebe is. So please go check that out. And so as we begin to wrap up, Phoebe, what is the essential message that you want to leave with the audience.
3: Oh, there's so much, but what keeps coming through is that awareness is the transformation. That's one of my go-to mantras is just to become more aware. You don't have to figure it all out. Just be aware and the transformation will unravel for you.
2: Exactly. That, that's really, that's so beautiful because that that's it, right? I always say with with my clients as well, awareness is the first step because we're unconscious so much of the time. And I can remember 25 years ago, having those conversations with my father, you know, who was on his own spiritual path. and, And he would say, you know, I think part of our journey is just waking up that we literally it's just waking up to this moment and then this moment. And how do we keep ourselves staying awake? So as we're awake, we become aware then. And that's how we can start doing this beautiful work that that you've spoke of. And we can become more attuned to our bodies and our emotions, our souls. And that's exactly how this transformation is going to happen. So thank you so much, Phoebe. Again, just such a joy always to be in your presence and in your light so excited about the summit coming up and just honored to be with you.
3: Mm, Thank you so much, Stephanie. It's such a joy to be with you again.
2: You have been listening to igniting the spark with Stephanie James. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast platforms, make sure you subscribe and receive every episode for more information about this show, my books, films and events, go to stephaniejames.world and ignite your best life.